Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people and Boon people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land we broadcast from. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal people listening in today. Hello, everybody, and you're listening to Say the Podcast. I'll be your host for today, and my name is Sir Avantgarde. And today with me, I've got the usual... Dallasay! It's Dallasay. I'm back. I'm back. And I'm doing this on behalf of Dallasay, just to make sure that there's a different perspective on the podcast. So just to give you some background information, me and Dallasay are very closely acquainted, and we're also both of a mixed cultural background. To be more specific, we are siblings. And we're actually Filipino and Sri Lankan. And in this episode... Let's talk about colorism, especially within the Filipino community, being Marenex people. One of the earliest experiences of me facing colorism was when I was in primary school, not even primary school, it was in kindergarten. We were put into this Filipino school and a lot of the Filipino kids didn't really accept me as real Filipino. I was too brown, too Muslim. My name was so different. I didn't have a Spanish last name. I didn't even have like a Anglo or Spanish first name. It was really interesting because the kids would always call us Arabo, which was a slur for Arab people. And it's weird because like we're obviously not Arab. And um, it just made me really conscious growing up. I remember I would tell everyone that, oh, I'm Sri Lankan, but my mom's Filipino. And looking back, that's such a weird way to introduce yourself because it's not true. Like I am Filipino and Sri Lankan, but for some reason at the time, I didn't feel like I had the acceptance or the permission to be a part of that community. Is that the same experience that you had? Yeah. So I'd say I went through something very similar when I was growing up. Not so much that I was trying to be Filipino, it's just that I was completely rejected. So I'd go through, I guess, times when I was younger, especially during that kindergarten and prep school. I'm not sure what they call that nowadays, but during that sort of five years old to about like 10 years old, I'd be, I guess, Sri Lankan going to school in a Filipino environment. But I'd never fit in because I was too dark, apparently. I was too different. And my first name was Muhammad. So that was already a standout to the rest of the class. There wasn't a lot of diversity in the school. I mean, they were like half Filipinos, half Filipino, half Saudis, half Filipino, half Jamaican, half Filipino, half Irish. You get all these half Filipinos. But for some reason, it was like the, I guess, the hesitation to accept mixed race Filipinos really fell especially hard on the mixed folk who were darker. And it was kind of like if you were mixed lighter, people really wanted to embrace you and were very proud of you. When they saw mixed race Filipinos and they were darker, it was kind of like an embarrassment. They saw it as something shameful. They didn't want to claim you as part of that community. And it's really sad because I don't even think we're that dark. And I even think we're about the same brown as like most Filipinos. If not fairer than some. Yeah. And it's just super weird that they would look at us and be like, oh, yeah, like you're obviously not Filipino. But then how can you look at someone who's like Shay Michelle, Shay Mitchell or whatever And then be like, oh, yeah, that's Filipino. I totally relate to that. Ugh, really super annoying. And I remember when I was old enough to use the internet and I remember Google finally arrived and I learned how to use search bars. And I would scour the internet for Filipino South Asians, Filipino Sri Lankans, Filipino Indians. And I would just like keep searching and searching throughout my childhood. 
until one day it actually showed something. It actually showed a result, and that was Venus Raj. And Venus Raj, if any of you remember, was Miss Philippines Universe in 2010. Her dad was Indian, her mom was Filipino. She was born in the Middle East in Qatar, and I looked at that like, oh my god, that's a lot like me. But I imagine this whole time, my whole childhood, I didn't have any representation. By the time I found out about Venus Raj, I was 18. I had gone my whole childhood without representation. But when I found that representation, it, was, it felt like magic. I mean, I completely understand where you're coming from. And I, just from what, I've, what I'm hearing, I can see that there's a lot of issues, especially around colorism. So for those that don't know what colorism is, it's actually a form of discrimination based on skin tone or skin color. Some might associate it with race, but for the most part, it's actually based on appearance. So not to get confused with ethnicity or race, it's mainly due to complexion. That's right. Do you want to talk a little bit about how colorism might have affected your your life or has it not affected your life? Not that it hasn't affected my life, but I think early on I embraced that I was Sri Lankan more than I was Filipino. So I was it was easy for me to sort of block out any of the issues I had with the Filipino community because I didn't identify as them in the first place. So what I used to do is I used to sort of associate with a lot more Africans or a lot more South Asians to begin with. So that was my comfort zone because it was easier to see other people who looked similar, even though we were from different backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, sorry. But we always had the same general appearance with minor differences. I found that really interesting because, I mean, I guess when I met other half Filipino people, I kind of gravitated to people who were not half white, half Filipino. And the half white, half Filipinos were kind of like, you guys live in another world and I'm not part of that world. So I kind of had this affinity for people who were, I guess, non-white, half Filipinos. But more than that, I really had those feelings of, you know, why do I want to be part of this community that doesn't want me? You know, if you guys don't want me, then why the hell should I want you? You know, I always had that feeling in my you know, childhood and I guess even my adulthood, to be honest. But the only reason why I keep hanging on to being Filipino is because what other people think about me does not matter to me. Like, I am who I am. And whether you people accept it or not, well, too bad for you. And I remember there was this incident we went to Philippines like a couple years ago. We went whale watching in Cebu, which is an island where my mom's from. We went to see the whales, and they had different price points for foreigners and people from Cebu themselves. And we were super excited. Our family, I mean, we all came in. And obviously, when you are a citizen of a country, you don't really think that you're going to bring your passport or whatever. And the guys at the counter were like, you guys are not Filipino. Prove it. And we were just like, our mom's Filipino. And we didn't have any proof at that point. We didn't even speak Tagalog. We couldn't do anything. And they didn't think we looked good. We had cousins fighting back, saying things like, based on Filipino law, if you have a parent who's Filipino, then by blood, you're also Filipino. They made this point that actually their grandma is American and she's not even Filipino, but you don't seem to have a problem with her. You know, and we're the Filipino citizens here. I thought that was kind of interesting. And it kind of made me feel upset at that point. But later in that day, I remember there was this variety show being filmed in Ayala Mall in Cebu. It just happened that Venus Raj was hosting it or she made an appearance or some sort. And I ran out of the restaurant that we were supposed to be having dinner at. And I wanted to see her live. Somehow got to go backstage because my cousin kind of pushed me backstage. And I remember crying when I met her, like, oh my God, I used to search for you. Like I used to search the internet for someone who looked like me. And, and after the whale watching incident earlier that day, it was kind of like, this is so affirming in like the weirdest way possible. 
It sounds like the way that you've actually found your relief of being Filipino, or at least your acceptance, at least through people like that. I can't say that I had a similar experience, but what I would say really helped me when I was growing up was finding other people who were mixed race in general. So I was a big fan of skateboarding growing up, and there was actually a skateboarder who goes by the name of Eric Costin, who's half American, half Thai. And he was actually sort of like one of my skateboarding figures or idols, you could say, growing up. Because he was one of the only ones who was actually half Asian. So I sort of got mixed up in that whole half Asian society and just trying to find other people who may not be necessarily from South Asia or East Asia or Southeast Asia of that sort. But at least they have some tie with two different cultures and see how that they've actually fitted in with different societies and different environments. I think just looking at that really made it easier for me. Because you would never be Sri Lankan enough to be Sri Lankan, and you'd never be Filipino enough to be Filipino. So where do you kind of fall in between? So naturally, you'd get along with everyone else. I mean, that's just the way that it kind of worked for me. Fair enough. I remember for me, like, I remember being rejected or feeling rejected from the Filipino side. But at the same time, from the Sri Lankan side, I kind of felt like they wanted to erase the fact that I was Filipino. I don't know if you felt that, but I definitely did. I felt like people didn't want other people to know that we were Filipino. You know 100%. what I mean? And I used to run across people that I'd never mentioned that. Or at least, sorry, other people would never mention that I was half Filipino. They'd always say like, oh, yeah, he's my Sri Lankan cousin. They live in Saudi. And that would be it. If someone asked, oh, why does he look a bit different? Why is his eyes a little bit small? Why is, you know, his hair a little bit a bit smoother than most Sri Lankans? And, you know, just be left at a blank. It wouldn't really say anything at that point. I feel like mom and dad were not really ready for that. They never really spoke about it. It was kind of like, oh, we're connected by humanity. And then they just, like, never talked about it. I think at that time, we were probably very sheltered. I'm not sure how other mixed-race kids growing up in the 90s were, but... From what I can see, it was back then, if you were mixed race, it was a lot harder because it wasn't generally seen as much as it is today, especially with globalization and migration happening a lot more. If you're in a place like where we grew up, which was Saudi Arabia, and most of the people tend to hang out with their own people. So you'd have a specific Sri Lankan community. They would move within themselves. Let's say the Filipino community moving within themselves, the Iranian community within themselves and so forth. You wouldn't see them generally mixing with each other. So naturally, you wouldn't have children who are mixed race. So when there was, it would be the outlier, which would be the outcast. And no one wants to be associated with them because for most of those cultures, it's sort of looked down upon to mix outside of your culture, let alone, let alone outside of your own ethnicity. There's already issues in between different races within, let's say, Sri Lanka, let alone issues with marrying someone completely outside of that. I mean, Saudi Arabia was pretty multicultural. We had a lot of people from different places. There were a lot of expats. Expat community was huge. I mean, they had a lot of migrant workers, but it was also kind of socially separated. It was, it's, it's so weird. And I guess unless you lived in Saudi Arabia, it's kind of hard to understand how that works. Like you could live in Saudi Arabia your whole life and not speak Arabic. And a lot of people find that very strange. You could live in these silos in these communities. You know, despite having this multicultural communities, having a large expat population, there was kind of like a hierarchy within the expats. And of course, you would have the white people at top, white people from Western countries, and then you would have the Arab folks. And then everything else kind of just fell in place based on your color, like not even by race, but probably by your skin tone, kind of. For sure. And to anyone that's Caucasian, we don't mean to bunch you in together, but when you're in an environment like that, they look at you as white and they just bunch you in together as, look, these are the white people. 
they get paid a certain amount because in Saudi as an expatriate, you actually get paid based on your nationality. So for the most part, if you're Caucasian, you come from Australia, you come from the UK, you come from the US and Canada. And you get paid more or less within the same rate that you were getting back home, which is a lot higher than people who come from Southeast Asia or they come from parts of the Middle East or they come from parts of East Asia or Africa. What used to happen is now there's already a segregation between these people of color. So now you have those which are, let's say, from India that don't necessarily mix with those who are from Sri Lanka and they don't mix with those who are from Pakistan. They don't mix with those from Malaysia. So as it was, the system was sort of set up that everyone was to stay within their own community. And that's sort of like their safe hold and they can be all right in that country by just staying together. But I don't think people of color even is a concept outside of the Western world. A hundred percent. I think it just doesn't exist. Arab supremacy in the Middle East most definitely did not have solidarity with Southeast Asian folks, South Asian folks, East African folks, or anybody else. They were just kind of like, we want to be at the top and all of you stay at the bottom. Uh, Of course, we want the white man to stay on top too because yay, McDonald's, Burger King, Starbucks. Yeah, export culture, to be honest. A lot of things are just exported from Western countries into the Middle East. So they heavily rely on all those things to actually keep their society afloat. I mean, that's why the working culture back then, or at least the workforce, was mostly expats. You know what? And the thing is, being Western, it's a status symbol. And if you can eat in the Western restaurants, you can speak in a Western accent, you can travel, more or less travel to Western countries. A lot of these things... When you're living in the West, it's kind of like taken for granted. But when you're living out in Saudi Arabia, it's a status symbol. It basically signifies to other people that you're better than the other brown people or whatever it is. It's so weird. In a way, we didn't really fit the stereotype. So we were basically Filipino Sri Lankan in a place like Saudi Arabia that wouldn't pay people from our background that much money, would not give them respect or protection. And yet we were doing well. We went to international schools and we had Western accents or Western passing accents, Western education. We traveled. And I think a lot of people looked at that and they were like, oh, but that's kind of unusual. Like, I don't really know where to box you. When I dressed well, if people liked the way how I looked in Saudi Arabia, people would be like, oh, she's Arab. And when I did not dress well, it would be like, oh, she's probably Indian or Indonesian. I don't know if you felt that way. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I used to skateboard a lot when I was younger. So they'd see this brown kid and just be like, wow, there's actually someone from the subcontinent who skateboards, which is unheard of. It's like a mythical thing. It's just something they've never seen in their life. And then I'll just tell them as well, oh, I'm really big into hip hop. And be like, oh, wow. And who's into sneakers and fashion. Like, it's just not something that was, I guess, popular in in those those areas. I mean, it was just kind of weird trying to talk to people just about different interests which weren't the same as everyone else's which would be your cricket your typical education streams while people were trying to be i guess not knocking you know doctors and engineers and your accountants because i graduated in accounting myself in my bachelor's no one really thought about design scriptures which is art in general visual arts and i guess conceptual theories and things of that sort so yeah it's just interesting there's a lot of things that you get just being mixed race because you've been rejected from the status quo that you start venturing out into different areas which is i guess a good and bad because it sort of teaches you that you have to be unconventional because that's sort of the way that you are in the first place i mean one of the weirdest things i always look at is my passport so i'm australian now but i always had both 
Sri Lankan and Filipino, but I'd look at both of them and I'd just be like, I don't see myself in either. Honestly, same. I do not see myself in either. I kind of almost feel like maybe because we didn't fit the mold from the get-go, we probably didn't feel the need to fit into the mold anyway. I feel like I kind of tried fitting into the mold and I just wasn't fitting properly. And after a while, I just gave it up, especially when I turned 21 and I was like, well, none of this is working. And clearly, there's no point in trying. Let me just relax for a second. Yeah, a lot of it comes across as forced. I gave up when I was like 14. That was my point where I just couldn't be bothered trying to, I guess, please, or trying to convince myself that I'm one or the other. I'm just going to be anything at this point. So we talked a little bit about colorism, how it affected us in our childhood. It followed us to adulthood. Let's talk about how do we stop it? How do we mitigate it? How would someone else going through the same thing kind of manage it? The way I look at it is a lot of mixed race people are actually coming about, I should say, in this day and age. So it's going to be less of a problem for those specific people. And that probably never really changed. I think that there's going to be a lot of mixed race children going forward. So I think for that specific community or those specific individuals, there'll be less of an issue when it comes to colorism and discrimination in that area. That said, I don't think it's ever going to go away. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, colorism, you know, started off through colonization, you know, the Spanish or whoever came down to Philippines, um, you know, the British, Portuguese, whatever in Sri Lanka. And in some instances, it even predates colonization. I think it's good that we can track where it's come from, but I'm more interested in the fact that it's already here and it's staying here. And I want to know how we can get rid of it. And there is Magandang Morena X or Morenix, I don't know how to say it. There's that movement, which is really cool. If some of you are hearing about it the first time, I totally recommend you check it out. It was started by Asia Jackson, who is an actress. She is African-American Filipino. She's amazing. And the fact that different kinds of Filipinos can feel empowered by it, whether both parents Filipinos or mixed or whatever, I think that's a great movement. But anyway, I don't think we're going to solve it in one episode. I mean, with things like this, this has been built up over centuries, and it's probably going to take just as much time to reverse the effect. So if there's any short-term solution, I think the only thing we can do is always raise awareness and understand the roots of all these causes, and I guess keep at it, educate the following generations. We can talk about colorism all day long, but we don't have that kind of time. So to wrap up this conversation on colorism, I really want to round it off with some kind words for, you know, my younger self. I would probably tell myself that people are not treating you bad because there's anything wrong with you. I don't have to try very hard for anyone's acceptance. You know, I used to think that the only way people would accept me as a Marana um, Filipino would be if I was like Apple Diab or Bruno Mars. And those were the only people that I could see in the media who were not as white as a snow globe. And they were, you know, proud to be accepted as Filipinos by other Filipinos. And I always thought like, oh, maybe I have to be amazing and I have to be like world class, something, something. And now it's just like, I don't have to be any of those things I can just be me and that's fine I think for the most part just don't try to be accepted by others who are not like you you know you can carry on this conversation online talk about it with your family but anyway we're approaching the end of the show if you would like to follow the podcast you can find us on Spotify iTunes wherever you get your podcasts we're on Instagram at say the podcast Facebook at say the pod please leave us a review on iTunes Apple podcasts whenever you get the time 
And for anyone who's interested in, I guess, a bit more about myself and some of the work that I do, you can follow me on Instagram at Sir Avant Garde. So that's S I R dot A V A N T dot G A R D E. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Bye bye.